Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. Hello everyone, Um, I'm Amy and this is Sophie. Hi. And we are from Bad Form, a literary review by and for Black, Asian and racialized community writers. Um, And we are taking over your radio waves today. Sophie and my recap of 2020 to 2021 books of the year, otherwise known as books of the pancetta, (laughs) the panoramic, books of the panacotta, whatever you would like to refer to them as. Um, We will be taking you through our personal favourites um, of sort of two-month periods, not to get too specific, um, from March to March, um, discussing them with you and giving you a little tip to go with each book, which I think is quite cool. Um, so you can get an idea of what we've been reading over at Bad Four, what we've been enjoying. And um, according to that, all the books and authors that we will be mentioning today are books by Black, Asian and marginalised community authors, because that's who we are here to support. And similarly, the music artists are all Black, Asian and racialized community, um, you know, because we love a theme. We, we do love a theme. Right, so we're going to stay on kind of more mellow, more sad books with my September-October read, which is Open Water by Caleb Nelson. Um, I don't know that I've felt so invested in a book, maybe ever. Actually, maybe the next one, but it's different because this is Caleb's first novel and actually one of his first um, things that we can read because there's a couple of short stories that have been published here and there, but Caleb is a really young author and... Open Water was incredible. Open Water was very expected. I have seen a lot of, um, you know, uh, ads around it. When I got my proofs, I felt, my proofs, sorry, I felt really, really special. I was like, I can read Open Water now. I'm part of the club. By then, we, you know, it never, um, it never washes off the feeling of being very special when you get a free book for, <laughs> when you get a proof for review. Um, Open Water's cover is incredibly beautiful. Caleb Nelson is a photographer, um, and it's two two very close-up portraits of uh, a black woman and a black man on kind of like burnt orange and rusty red backgrounds and open water in turquoise. It's it's a book that's been hyped for good reason, and I think it should be hyped even more. It is about love and art and music. And when I interviewed Caleb, he said I wanted to read a book that read like an album. And that's what it does. You have moments within it that feel like individual tracks that you want to come back to. And then you just have a flow of almost poetry that comes in and comes out. Um, it's beautiful, really. I don't know how many times I can say that. It's written in the second person, which at first I was quite surprised by. And then I thought actually made it feel really intimate. Um, and especially because 
it's a book about love, but really it's a book about grief and about grieving so many different things. And there's a bit within it that I'm not going to read. You'll read it yourself, but it's around page 60. And it's about the what it feels like to lose a grandparent when, you know, you're a child of an immigrant. And so it's someone that you feel is important to you, that you're related to, but that you don't actually know, that you haven't spoken to that many times, um, that you... You know, like um, in in Nelson's book, the main character speaks the the same language, so they can communicate. But there is really like you can see this bar, and um, it was incredibly well written. It made me want to cry. It made me I lost my grandma this year, and it was exactly the same feeling. And it was there's a, a question that I'm gonna paraphrase and butcher, but it's like, are you crying for the what? What are you crying for, basically? And that you ask yourself. Um, so that was beautiful, but it's also fun. It's also a celebration of black art. It's a celebration of South London. It's, um, it's brilliant. And Caleb Nelson, I think, is really a writer to me from my authoritative 22 years old. He's a writer to watch <laughs> in the next 10 years. I think he's going to be one of the really great black British writers, actually British writers, period, but also black British writers. Thing. absolutely I think you've articulated that so well it's such an incredible book I actually listened to the audiobook of it um, which um, Caleb reads himself um, and again I was really thrown by that second person um, but it worked really well as an audio because he writes so lyrically um, I really really enjoyed that so we definitely recommend that to anyone who's a fan of audiobooks or listening to things as you seem to be if you're this deep into our two-hour two-hour radio show <laughs> Um, but Sophie, you know, you said you were thrown by that second person. Is that a style that you've read a book in before, or is it something you've really seen before? Because I don't think I have, but then again, I'm not that well read when it comes to... No, it's not, it's not something I'd seen really before. I think maybe in poetry a little bit, but I don't read that much poetry. Um, and definitely that's something you hear a little bit more in songs. Like I can think of a few songs that do that. And I, I asked Caleb during the interview where he, where he picked that up or like how the idea came to him. Um, and he did say that he'd read it used in a novel but just in parts so it wasn't the full novel that was like that um but yeah no it was I thought it was really inventive and actually I think quite a few um in the interview he said something about how he likes to stretch language and try to like fold it um and I really saw that not necessarily I mean I saw that in open water but it really struck me in a short story called solace that you can read online um I think it's with oh I'm not going to say because I'm going to say it wrong but we'll link it and um there he speaks about um I think he quotes a mother that says your guy came in a suitcase or something so it's like something about the language the kind of butchered um bastardized way in which you speak the language when your your parents are immigrants and so you learned it somewhere else and I thought that was I don't know if that was a direct translation of like something you say in Ga or whatever, but it was just beautiful and it was it was really clever and poetic, but poetic in a way that gets read. And open water, basically you don't know where the time goes. You read it and it feels like you almost feel like you've missed out on a bit at some point because you're like, How am I already here? Um and it's just because the book carries you along. And I think you have to put yourself in a, a space where you're fine with that. Like I think sometimes it could be almost arresting to read something that is so that feels like you're you know gliding on a stream uh, so you can't really stop and then start again on you feel like you've missed out on something uh, but once you accept to let the water carry you um it's i think it's a great reading experience and yeah maybe actually you know because then the next ones basically this one and the next one are some of my favorite books that i've read in the past maybe five years so 
get them. They're great. <laughs> and what's your song, Sophie? For yeah, my song is um, Samba Alla by Jogel Saho, who's a Wolof, a Senegalese singer. And it's a song from my childhood. It's beautiful. And um, yeah, I want it. Open Water made me feel like this song makes me feel. So I hope you enjoy it. Aniwa Kerge, Aniwa, Aniwa Konge, Aniwa Kerge. Aniwa kerge, aniwa aniwa konge, aniwa kerge. An samba an samba aniwa kerge. And that was a really lovely and beautiful song. Um, I'm smiling just thinking about it. And then my book for September to October, it's not actually a book, it's a collection of pamphlets um, by four brown girls who write. It's um, also called Four Brown Girls Who Write. Um, and this book was published by Rough Trade, so shout out Rough Trade Books and Nina, who lovingly put this opportunity for us to take over the radio today, so thanks to Nina. Um, I love this collection. Not news to anyone who knows me. Obsessed. I think it's fantastic. I, like Sophie, am not a huge poetry reader. Uh, I, I buy it very rarely. I tend to stick to one poet I like, Derek Walcott have a lot of collections of his poetry and and stuff and I just tend to reread it when I fancy poetry because why try new stuff when you have stuff that works um but no this is a fantastic collection of four pamphlets um the copy for the collection describes them as a collaborative force um and that's at the forefront of both the collection and their way of speaking about themselves um the, it's weird because the pamphlet is not a collective force. It's not unified by theme or number of poems or rhyme scheme or anything. It's just four very distinct pamphlets bound up as one collection. And I actually, and I told them this when I interviewed them, I, I wouldn't put them together myself necessarily. These aren't four booklets which I'd put together. Um, but somehow they really work as a collective. I mean, there's something incredible about the concept of, of a poetry collective. Um, and I remember Sheena saying, she was like, um, who's one of the four brown girls who write, um, if no one, wants, no one else wants to listen to us, we'll listen to each other. Um, four brown girls who write isn't a space to push representation. It's a space of poets to hone their craft in a space that's specifically catered to them. Um, it's really clear when you're reading this that they're writing for each other and that representation is not an intended consequence, even though, as myself, a mixed-race brown woman, it did happen. This is just some really good poetry. Um, and it's hard sometimes, like, in an opportunity like this, I want to pick bits out, um, and it becomes quite individualistic. And Sharon, who's one of them, said that, especially in the world of writing, or in the world in general right now, everything is very individualistic. You always have to succeed as an individual. Um, and that she was saying that she didn't like it when people said that they preferred hers or they preferred Sheena's or whatever. You know, you're missing the point of it. It's about the collective being excellent. Um, and I've said all that, and I'm still going to read you a snippet of one of them, um, which is from Sheena's pamphlet, This Is What Love Is. Um, and this bit, of which I'm going to read to you, just struck me. It's about the motorway, which sounds incredibly boring, especially in a pamphlet called This Is What Love Is. Um, but I think you'll understand when I read it. This is why I picked this bit. And it goes like this. Rosh is up front with me in the car and she says, I think our love for each other goes deep. I feel at home when I'm with you. As I'm driving down the North Circular, I say to her, I love this road, and she says she loves it too. She says that we are the high priestesses of the A406. She wants to write it a poem and as an offering. 
I love the bit of the A406 when you come up on the crest of the hill past the Jaguar warehouse and as you come down you have Brent Cross to your left, the road widens out, the cars pick up speed and then it narrows again quickly after the slip road. It's that brief wide bit I love. It tries to be a motorway, something glitzier than an A road and I love I love it for that, for the way it tries to be something else for a moment. I just, I just, that's not, I, I can't put into words as someone who grew up on the A406 how do you write poetry about the A406? It's the A406, right? But I feel that too. Like, I love the A406. I have so many memories tied to riding that bit of road. And gosh, I just think it's brilliant. I just think they as a collective have achieved something really beautiful for all of them. Um, and it feels like a real privilege to be able to read it. It's one of those things. I wish I could see it performed. God, I wish I could see it performed. Would kill for that. I would love to go and listen to them read bits themselves. Um, but I just think it's wildly good. Um, and anyone who's even has a passing interest in poetry, I would really recommend this as an introduction to what collective poetry has the potential to be. Because um, I certainly didn't understand before, but I think I understand a bit more now. Um, go buy it. <laughs> so yeah, I I feel like I'm on a little cloud after what you just read, and that last sentence is just gonna stick with me. Um, I'm gonna ask a question that's gonna enable you to talk about one of our favorite um, kind of writer of color in the UK, who is also an incredible champion of people starting out, Nikesh Shukla. <laughs> Clap, clap, clap. Um, because he also said that this was one of um, his favorite kind of collection book that came up during lockdown. Um, and it's not to take away from the four brown girls, right? It's more about how I would have never come across this book if it wasn't for like, you know, platform or like championing them. Um, and now I really want to read it. And so I wondered if you could, obviously you are passionate, we all are, otherwise we wouldn't be here, about, you know, uplifting people. But I think, I don't know, there's something to say about doing it in a very personal and personable way. Um, and I think that's what you do. I think that's what Nikesh does. I think that's what reading this extract just did, sorry. And so, and it's about also the collective, you know, and upholding each other instead of ranking people. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Go ahead. I just wanted to allow you to, because I know you had to pick books and so you couldn't mention Brown Baby. So that way you can. <laughs> this goes really well because my next book is actually one by Nikesh Shukla. Again, unsurprising. As Sophie says, I'm a huge fan. I have been for ages and getting to interview him was honestly one of the highlights of 2020. Not in a weird way, Nikesh, if you're listening to this, not like a creepy fan, just very cool, very cool, very chill fan. Um, but yeah, Nikesh Shukla is honestly the epitome of what other writers should seek to be for others and for themselves this is true of anyone who knows Nikesh Shukla in the industry they will all tell you immediately how his sole purpose is to uplift others like he used to be a social worker he's written a zillion books he has mentored so many up-and-coming writers so many debuts last year have been personally mentored by Nikesh Shukla and I didn't even realize until he like tweets about them occasionally or they tweet about him or you read the acknowledgments of a book and it's like oh my god Nikesh Shukla thank you so much um, but I think, yeah, what he did similarly to Four Brown Girls Who Write, as, as I did just gush now, he has definitely platformed them since. He, he's upheld their work as sort of great, as them and them as great future poets. Um, but yeah, I will talk more about him in a bit. Um, but definitely, again, there is something incredible. I just, I just love seeing brown people succeed. It's just something so amazing. I get so excited when I see brown people doing well. Um, 
as I do when I see black people doing well or other racialized community authors. Um, but as, you know, as a brown person in a brown family, you just, you just don't see that. You just don't see brown authors anywhere, let alone in Northwest London. Um, so it's lovely to see a few of them. But yeah. Um, and the song I have picked is Bloom by Ravina, who is another brown girl doing her, doing her work. Brown woman. I just said that because, you know, I don't want to disrespect anyone. But yes, Bloom is, uh, beautiful song Ravina is a beautiful singer her voice is just incredible her sound is wonderful and I found her through her tiny desk concert I wish I found her earlier but I watched that for the first time last year and I've been obsessed ever since um so here's Bloom I think it fits the pamphlets perfectly um and I hope you enjoy This was such a beautiful song and I didn't actually know it until Amy emailed me her list of tracks and I actually will, I mean, I think I will hyper fixate on it for the next few days. Um, right, my November-December book is The Art of Losing by Alice Denizer. This book won the Goncourt Prize, um, but not the main one, the high schoolers one, which I think is the best literary prize in France because it's a bunch of high school students who pick a book and every time it's an incredible book. We love young people. So this book is, a, a, it's a brick. It's a gigantic book that spans almost a century of history between Algeria and France. Um, and it looks at three generations of, so you have the grandfather, Ali, um, the, the son or father, Hamid, and then Naima, who's the, the girl today. Um, I, I don't even know how to describe this book so I'll just it's it's great it's beautiful it talks about immigration beautifully it talks of loss and then trying to find yourself um amidst it's, it's I mean it talks about racism history the way history is weaved into our own lives it's amazing and I read it in French um and actually then I saw that it was about to be translated in English and I immediately messaged Amy saying can I please 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 can we try to get an interview because she's an incredible singer and I think a singer writer and I think in France um we translate a lot I don't think I know that in France we translate a lot more than the reverse is true um so I'm really interested if we can in kind of the possibility of uplifting translations with that form as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I could talk to this book endlessly, so I don't talk to this book about this book, sorry. So, Amy, do you have any pointers or something that I should say? Honestly, I think the the discussion of the prize that you you started is fascinating. Like, conceptually, like, I'm, I'm fascinated that it was, like, high schoolers that picked this like you said, brick of a book, like it is ginormous, and it tackles some really, really difficult themes. Um, so, and also, I guess from a French audience, I was, I'm kind of curious in the way that it maybe is less appealing to a British audience to read about sort of the horrors of empire. Why do you think this is connected with so many French people? I think the reason why, I think there's a couple of reasons why this book was so successful. Um, and I think one a huge one is that Alexander is an excellent, excellent writer. Um and I'm I'm a little bit obsessed with her. <laughs> I've read her new book, which was amazing. Um and there's just something with the way she writes about complicated things is done really well and likely it's actually quite a funny book. But 
I think in France we have this big repression kind of of collective memory around the Algeria war and yet everyone that I can think about is somehow connected to it because it was it's recent and it it was such a, an important so whether your I don't know granddad ended up you know fighting there as a French person or you have ancestry or um or or you know your family has lived through post-colonial immigration um even if they're not Algerian I think that's something that really talks about it and because um because we don't talk about it as much we all know that it's an important thing but it's not mentioned i think people are hungry for more for knowledge and for discussion and so you learn things in this book about you know the the camps that uh, refugees were stuck in you you read about immigrants as people with feelings which <laughs> oddly enough is not something that you can read about that often and so it's i think that's definitely why it's resonated and i think it will continue to resonate and i can see it being a book that people will recommend in schools um for years and years to come and it's great it should be and why is it called the art of losing Oh yes. So it's from an a poem by Elizabeth Bishop and the first line is the art of losing isn't hard to master and the poem is beautiful and it's talked about at some point in this book but yeah it's it's a perfect title from a great poem for a fantastic book. So yeah the song I picked to go with it is oh I'm going to butcher the title. It's by a Kabyle singer called Idir and the song is Avava Inuva and it's a beautiful song and I found it because I listened to Alizenta on the radio on the French radio uh, France Inter and the the journalist played this song was like that's a song by a Kabyle singer you really like and I was like it's a great song. So here goes. <laughs> a lovely song and I like Sophie before had not heard this song before Sophie sent me her list of songs and I yeah thought it was fantastic um so it's been added to the playlist god I'm learning so much from this conversation Sophie I'm really enjoying it like this has been so great for like my what to listen to what to read next um this is really fun um so yeah so for my November to December title um I have as mentioned earlier Brown Baby by the one and only Nika Shukla um so Brown Baby is a memoir. It's Nikesh Shichukla's first memoir, um, and it's ostensibly about parenthood. Um, but really it's just about existence. Um, it's pretty short um, and pointed, and it's a brilliant tracing of his attempts to parent his own brown baby, his first one, um, especially, and discovery of the pitfalls of everyday life. Um, how to talk to his daughter about race, about gender, about civic responsibility, about climate change, about politics, all of that. Um, but at its heart, it's just about Shukla trying his best, really. And I think it's great. Um, and I'm not just saying that as someone who is a fan of his fiction. Um, I like some of his fiction more than others. I think his debut novel, Coconut Unlimited, is maybe one of the greatest books written about young people of all time. Um, then again, I might be quite biased. Um, that book is about three young brown boys at an all-white private school um, trying to start a band so great um my brother goes to the same school that Nikesh went to with his other brown mates um so perhaps I just found it a bit more interesting also I'm from northwest London and the fact that there's an author who's really famous who's from northwest London so exciting unreal discussion of like Harrow in a book I think that's true representation if you can tell me like about like the cinema in Harrow I'm like unreal incredible like true representation isn't like no wonder no wonder 
straight white cis men loved their books back in the day like how exciting to read yourself in literature it, it still is so exciting to me um but yes i digress um so the opening chapter of uh, brown baby i think is really refreshing um especially in a book about parenthood um like shukla admits like no great moment of clarity that he was destined to be a father um which i think as someone who reads romance books like really trashy romance books really often like so often in the final chapters there's this moment where the woman's like i just i'm not sure about kids and then like one of her friends has a baby and then she holds the baby and she's like i'm destined to be a mother um and i'm just so used to that sort of cliche but like hearing someone just like having like fatherhood thrust upon them um whilst actually still in the throes of grieving for his own mother um and being able to like capture that depth of emotion while still being like quite funny and witty um and you know relatable for horror um i think is incredible um you know i have no personal aspirations to being a parent anytime soon my boyfriend will be thrilled to hear me admit on live radio um but it was just the most empathetic fun piece of memoir that I've read in a really long time I mean so often especially in 2020 there was this huge number in the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement of, of memoirs rushed out by publishing houses they were talking very quick interpretations of people's lives and sort of the miseries of racism and obviously they're all true they're all accurate they're important to read but you know it does get to a point where you're like gosh is this all we're allowed to write about is this all that black and brown authors can write in their memoirs is the sounds the sad stuff is that all publishers will let them write um so to have a, a book such as this which is so short yet explores so much i think is is a really great example of what memoir can and should be um should actually run a course on like how to write a memoir and i'm really glad he did like i really hope he's inspired a new generation of writers to write more in their memoir than what they they're expected to read um but yeah is that is that gushing enough <laughs> i really loved this book i thought it was great um but yeah i went to that oh, sorry i went to that class because amy said went to another one on writing and she said it was great so i was like i'll try whichever one he has going next i am not going to write a memoir anytime soon i don't have many stories to tell but the way that um nikesh chocolate talks about that he he kept saying that you need to have a sort of like lesson or like a, a big theme that you want to talk about through your life mm-hmm. and something that will be universal i mean as much as universal is is possible um and from the sound of everyone that i've heard speak about brown baby i haven't read it yet i will as you can imagine by just seeing the snippet of what amy and i talk about um the platform team is just constantly constantly talking about books and our pile of books that we want to buy keeps growing but then we get proofs and then it's just like oh so many books so little time but um yeah it sounds like that's something that is just it gets to like the heart of being a human as uh stupid as that sounds coming from me no it, it doesn't sound stupid at all i think um When I interviewed Nikesh, which was before I read this book, um, I found an old interview where he was like a bit disgruntled about being described as a great brown author and he wanted to be like a great British author. Um, and by the time that he has written this book, sort of 10 years later actually, um, he's, he's really, you know, and he admitted in this interview and also even calling his book Brown Baby and the stuff that he addresses in this memoir, he is brown. Like it's, the truth of being brown in Britain. It's not a guide to doing the right thing. It's not a guide on racism. It's just about 
his life and he is a brown man and his brownness and his manness are inextricable from each other um i think it's yeah it's it's a real there's real growth in his writing and you can really feel that in this book um i'm saying this as if i have i've had like personal impact on this obviously i haven't um but i don't know as a somewhat young reader it, it feels yeah it sort of brims you with confidence and excitement about the future and your own life and understanding and all sorts and didn't make me want to have a baby which is also i appreciate in a parenting memoir so there we go <laughs> and uh the song i've chosen to go with this this took me a while actually to narrow down the song i changed my mind so many times i was like do i use a riz ahmed song i don't know um the song i chose was toast by coffee um it's just such a, a joyful song about appreciating what you have um in the moment i feel like it really summed up what i tried to do with 2020 and also what Shukla tries to do about life i have that same kind of sentiment um so here you go here's toast i hope you enjoy it Great, and we're getting to the end. I was going to say already, but I feel like it's going to be two hours. It's a chunky <laughs> recording and like a chunky show about literature. But my book for now, 2021, is Zami, A New Spelling of My Name by Audre Lorde. I'm a huge Audre Lorde fan. Um, I mean, I'm a black feminist. I feel like it's <laughs> what's to be expected. Um, the uses of the erotic and the uses of anger, I believe, and the master's tool. Everything that's in Sister Outsider, basically, inject it. It's all online. The PDFs are there. Google it now. Read it. Change your life. Um... Yeah, I read Audre Lorde in, I think, second year of uni, and it was it was the big green edition of Sister Outsider that I borrowed from the library and mm-hmm. that I took with me on holidays because Tanisha, thanks to Tanisha, she was my PhD supervisor. Oh, she was my thesis supervisor who was a PhD student. I digress. Great. Read it. It's great. Zami is fantastic. It's really interesting, actually, because we didn't... Um, concert with Amy before we picked our books but it's also I mean it's not a memoir it's a biomythography which but it is a little bit of a memoir and it's a book that's making me really excited about growing older um, especially these days that we're kind of stalling I feel you know we're locked inside everything's closed um, and Zami is a book about coming into your own um it's a book about how she became who she is she says in the first page to whom do i owe the symbols of my survival um and it's the, the whole book is kind of like that it's how what has made audrey lord audrey lord and it turns out one of that one of these things was audrey lord as a child who didn't like the y at the end of her name she really liked the way that the e echoed the e in lord and so that's how she wrote her name and that's how she started self-defining and the whole book's about that but it's about so many things it's about being a black woman in the early 20th century um in new york it's about being a black lesbian woman it's about being a black lesbian fat woman there are so many ways in which um audrey lord described herself black lesbian mother warrior poet is the classic one um and this i don't even know really what to say it's a book about sensation it's a book about i've never read anything that touched on what it was like to be embodied so well audrey lord writes about the senses um in a way that i haven't seen 
many people do. Um, I'm, I'm not very great at being embodied. I, my back hurts all the time. I'm kind of clumsy. <laughs> I don't, I, I mean, I like my body. Thanks for carrying me around, but I don't, I'm definitely not very connected, especially these days to, you know, the beauty of the senses. Um, except for the sun, whenever the sun shines, you know, feel my face makes my day, but that's the only thing. And this book is really making me, we're reading it with a little book club that we started with a bunch of friends and, it's really making me want to kind of reconnect to that. And it's also just, it's really making me excited for the possibilities ahead. And it, it's, it takes children seriously. There's a really big chunk of the book that's about her childhood. It's beautiful. There's a passage about her first periods, which was great and made me like think about the first time I got my period. And I was like, oh, that wait, that's actually interesting and beautiful. It's, I think the personal is political, finds it's uh, one of its most perfect incarnations in the way lord writes about life and love and sex and loss and travels and the world around her so yeah oh the way you speak is just so beautiful like wow i mean i definitely need to buy it i need to buy it i mean i've only read one audrey lord book to my shame um which was from pluto books um but so of of her books of lord's books where does this rank is this your favorite? Is this the most interesting? Or is it just this, this connected to you at a time where it was important to, to recognize the embodiment of the self, et cetera, et cetera? Oh God. All right. So I don't know how to rank also because I don't know. You know what? It's going to be second if I have to rank because sister outsider. So, and also kind of disclaimer, I haven't read a lot of her poetry. I've read a little bit online, but I've never like bought a book that was a collection or anything. Um, because I'm not a big poetry reader, even when it comes to Audrey Lord. But I think Sister Outsider, just for the the place that it holds in my own construction as a person, as a feminist, as someone who I hope has radical ideas about what can be made of the world, um, is is going to be the first one. But it's going to be one of the first books that's made me um, and kind of full of hope and love. And, and it's just great. It's great to be able to be so radical from a positive perspective but this is definitely one of the best memoirs i've ever read um maybe maybe even the best <laughs> I, will, I will go out on a limb and say that this is maybe the best account of one's life by themselves that i've ever read wow big words i don't think you can say anything after that i guess um like yeah what's the song you chose for this? yes sorry the so song nina simone ain't got no i got life it was obvious to me that this had to be the song. I won't say anything else. Just listen to it. Yeah, perfect song, perfect choice. You're so right. You're so right, especially having heard you speak about the book now. Um, but yeah, that was Sophie's last book choice, rather sadly. Um, and now we're down to my last book choice, which is January to February 2021. Um, and my choice is uh, We Are Old Birds of Uganda by Hafsa Zayan. Um, unsurprisingly to Sophie, again, I'm, I've been, I haven't really been pulling any surprises out of my bag as a reader. Um, I love this book. I love this book infinitely. Um, as I've mentioned a bit before on this show, um, I am half Indian, um, but I am half Indian um, by way of Ugandan Asian. Um, what that means is is that my family is from Uganda, at least Indian side is, um, and in 1972 to 1974, they were part of the Ugandan Asian collective, which was expelled from Uganda by Idi Amin. Um, some of them were left without citizenship, which was technically illegal. Um, some of them had uh, provisions 
visas to go to other countries, um, about 33,000 of them came to the UK. Um, and this included Hindus and Muslims among them. Um, they were resettled. Um, there's a really, I don't mind, I don't mind dissertation on this, so you can tell I'm going to stop talking about the technical bits. Um, but there's a, there's a difference between an expelling, a refugee and a resettler and it all gets a bit confused with these people because they were made homeless and, and often, often they were left without citizenship and they were put in a country which made it clear they did not want them. Um, the rivers of blood speech had been made about the Kenyan Asians, uh, who entered the country beforehand. Um, my family, like all others, were placed in resettlement camps, um, which were, you know, a posh name for refugee camps. Um, they were lucky they weren't there for that long, um, three to six months, we think, um, with other family members moving out. But some people were there for years. Um, there were, you know, red and black zones designated by the government of where they were allowed to be sent, despite where your family was, um, because they didn't want a crowd some areas with too many Asians. Um, so, yeah, a, a difficult story in a lot of ways, though the Ugandan Asians have been very successful economically, and that's a whole other different topic to do with immigration and, and who's afforded what opportunities, especially when it comes to refugees. Definitely acknowledge that. Um, but it's a story that I don't think many people know about. Um, it's still sort of hard for my mum to explain that actually she considers herself African <laughs> as well as Indian. A lot of people are often surprised by that. Um, and, and Zayan was so no different. I interviewed her for our African history issue before the book came out. This was back in, gosh, October, November now. I must have interviewed her. Um, but I reread it recently when it came out because I just loved it. Um, and Zayan said that she just didn't know the story. Um, one generation above her, everyone knew of the Ugandan Asians, but she decided to tell the story because she thought a lot of people should know about it. Um, but she herself is not a Ugandan Asian, which I really threw me when I found that out. Um, and I think throws a lot of people when they, they find out themselves. Um, it's her husband who's a Ugandan Asian, second generation. Um, and her best friend is South Asian and South African. Her own mother is Pakistani-Nigerian. Um, and she knew so many people who were connected to South Africa and West Africa, but she just didn't know the story. So that's the story she decided to tell. And I think that is fascinating in and of itself. Um, because so often, I think, people of colour, black, Asian, racialized community people are sort of forced, especially in fiction, to writing their own family histories. Like, that is what you are allowed to be published in. That's what's going to get you that book deal. So to have someone write about someone else's story, I think is fascinating. Um, she's also the winner of the Murky Books Prize. It kind of takes us in a nice full circle back to Stormzy at the beginning of the show. Um and the story, the, sorry, the tagline of the competition was to tell stories that are not being told. Um, you know, the story of her win is somewhat unbelievable. She only had like 2,500 words that you needed to enter. Um, and then you had seven days to enter a full manuscript and she only managed to write five chapters around her full-time job as a lawyer. Um, and she still won. <laughs> Can you imagine being one of the other entrants and finding that out that she won on five chapters when you held a whole, a whole manuscript? Um, but I think that really articulates, um, how strong Seance's writing is. It's not an easy read. It's not an easy read. It shows Ugandan Asians in their fullest light, I'd like to say. It shows the, the capital, capitalistic intent. It shows the anti-blackness of the, of the community very strongly. Um, it's shown through two generations, that of um, young boy Samir and his grandfather. Um, and it shows, yeah, all the nasty bits, the, the difficult parts of religion, the patriarchal society. Um, I asked Diane why she didn't write the book about a woman because, you know, she herself is a woman, I was curious. Um, and she said that Samir, the main character, would have been radical 
you know, as a lawyer working in the city, in reflecting her own experience back into this book, she had to acknowledge that she doing it herself as a woman made it more radical in our community than if she had just been a man. So she, to keep the focus on the story of the Ugandan Asian, she took that out. And I just thought, it's, you know, it's hard to wrestle with. Um, but I just think it's such an important, brilliant story. And I think, yeah, um, Zayana is definitely, like Caleb Nelson, a one to watch for the future. She says again, with all the <laughs> all the confidence of a 24-year-old, um, I think she's just brilliant. Sorry, I've just, you know, whittled down my five minutes, Sophie. Um, is there anything you want to say, Ari, the book? <laughs> No, I just, I think the way you speak about, actually, I will say one thing, which is that I love that you included this one because it's a book that made you uncomfortable in a different way from Burn Sugar. Um, and that it's great to recognize that great books that speak to us can also be books that, you know, and it makes us un- uncomfortable for good reasons. Like it's about reckoning. I think there's a lot of pushing for books that make you uncomfortable that are just like, I don't know, misogynistic. Um, and it's like, I'm allowed to like Bukowski. No, you're not. Actually, you're not that. You know what? The woke police is here. You can't like Bukowski. Whereas liking a book that makes you deeply uncomfortable because it reflects things that you know to be true. Um, and that you, you don't read because, I mean, there's, that's something we reckon with as well with these lists and with platform in general. You don't want to go and say that, you know, you don't want to say bad things about racialized communities because we're already oppressed. Um, and it's so important to have pieces of fiction that enable you to do that and to weave in the good and the bad and the complicated and the art of using does that as well. So yeah, what's your song? What are we going to finish on before? My song we're going to finish on is um, Good Days by Scissor, um, which I think, um, yeah, recent song, Scissor's always a banger, but this book I think really articulates all of what you just said. You know, it's about the good stuff and the awkward stuff and the painful stuff and it's beautiful but a little bit uncomfortable to listen to. Um, so I think it's a good song to, to see us out. Um, so yeah, thanks so much for listening everyone. Um, I've been Amy and this has been Sophie. Um, and we are the editor in chief and future editor of Bad Form, the literary review by black, Asian and racialized community writers. You can check us out at Bad Form Review on Twitter and on Instagram and our website is badformreview.com. Thank you so much to Rough Trade and Soho Radio for this opportunity. It's been so fun and we hope we have inspired you to buy a book or two. Um, been loving catching up. Here's Good Days by Scissor. Step out, get some air now, let's all ass out.